I challenge you to a duel. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Movie Jewel podcast. My name is Peter and I am your host. Every episode of the Movie Jewel podcast we select a subject based around films and myself and my co-host each select a film that we think best fits that subject. Last time round myself and brand new guest co-host Jamie Russell were discussing our choices for best Bond film. And on this episode, myself and Vanessa Cordner will be discussing our choices for worst horror remake. But before we get into that, just a few announcements and a few points of order. Uh, first of all, um, I'm pleased to announce uh, that the Movie Jewel podcast uh, is moving forward with a solid new format. Uh, that being that the guests that I have featured so far on the podcast, so that's uh, Vanessa, Jamie, Nicole and Tarquin, uh, will no longer be referred to as guests. Um, they will become uh, what I've christened or slightly stolen from uh, Scream 6, the core four of the podcast. This means that we'll cycle through those four um, on a, a rotational basis and they will become a permanent fixture here on the Movie Jewel podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all four of them. Uh, I've had some really interesting chats with all of them so far and long may it continue. Um, be doing some posts on, across Facebook and Twitter, just sort of um, introducing them as the, the core four of the podcast um, with a little bit of information and, and bits and bobs and, and possibly some special episodes coming up based around uh, those four people. I'd also like to give a shout out to uh, some the following people for uh, retweeting the, the post about our, our last episode. So that's uh, to Jeff Brandon Warner. Paul from Filmbusters, Ben from Filmbusters, Sean Panda Nicholson, Jamie Russell, who was on it, but you can still get a thank you. Uh, and finally, the Movie Drone Podcast. So thank you very much, guys. Um, it was a very popular episode. A lot of interest in that. We even put up our first proper Twitter poll uh, to find out who had the better choice of either GoldenEye or The Spy Who Loved Me as our choices for best Bond film. Um, and it actually turned out in a complete 50-50 uh, split and a, a draw. So uh, there we go. Couldn't uh, find a winner in that one. And also, as I've been doing on the last few episodes of Movie Jewel, um, I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, uh, a brand-new podcast that I've been listening to. Uh, this is the guys over at uh, Creative Psychopaths. Uh, it's a it's a fairly new um, horror podcast uh, hosted by uh, Matthew and Mark, and it's another one that I've sort of got onto through through Twitter. Really enjoying it. Um, if you like your horror, uh, it's a really great podcast to listen to. Um, they describe the ep each episode as a, a horror sandwich. It's a, a, a movie filling, uh, so they discuss a, a main film uh, for each episode of the podcast, and then uh, two bready slices of uh, of chatty goodness, as they put it, uh, either side of of that discussion. Um, and it's really fun, really great uh, little podcast to listen to. Uh, so I would encourage you to go and listen to it now. 
Uh, I'll add some uh, uh, links to it in the description of this uh, this episode. And again, encourage you to go and check it out. And you know, keep listening in the future because you may hear some very very familiar voices in the very very near future. And then finally, before we get into the episode, uh, just a few reminders about how you can contact us here at the Movie Jewel podcast. Uh, you can do so via our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Movie podcast. Uh, you can send us a message through there or pop a, a like on the page and a review. Um, you can contact us through Twitter at Movie Jewel Pod. I um, encourage you to obviously like the post, retweet them, share them. Um, you may even get a, a little thank you on the next episode as well. Um, and finally, you can contact us at moviejewelpodcast at gmail.com on email. And finally, uh, if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, my personal uh, Letterboxd account is Pete Marshall. Um, you can look and see uh, what I've been watching at the moment and, uh, and what I've given it. Maybe sneak peek into some of the... Uh, upcoming films on movie your podcast and you'll also see what i thought of uh, the new indiana jones and the dial of destiny film uh, which i went to see this week um uh, other than that get in touch like follow subscribe whatever you can do to help us um any reviews especially five star ones if you're feeling generous enough uh, will help us get uh, brand new listeners so thank you very much and then just a final note before we head into the episode, uh, there is a little bit of background noise on this recording due to uh, the heat and Vanessa's uh, uh, dogs getting a little bit uh, restless. Uh, you'll hear them in the background for some of the episode. Um, and there is a little bit of panting in the background as well. And I just wanted to reassure people uh, that it's not me. Okay, so let's head on over to the main discussion uh, and our choices for... Worst horror remake. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Okay, so welcome back to Movie Your Podcast to Vanessa. Hello, Vanessa. Hello. How are you today? Hi. What am <laughs> <laughs> It is incredibly hot, yes. It is hotter than... No, I better not say that one. Um, it's, it's incredibly warm, <laughs> yes. Stagnant. Um, uh, what have you been up to? Anything interesting lately? Uh, I don't know. When was that? I don't remember when the last time we spoke was. <laughs> was it a couple of months ago, maybe. Is that right? Uh, yes, roughly, I think. Yeah, the last episode that we did. Yeah, a of yeah ago. we were discussing um, public transport action movies. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I can't actually remember. I've, I've actually been quite busy, but if you ask me what I've been doing, it's all been really mundane, boring stuff. <laughs> um, but I've seen a few good things um, at the cinema over the last mm-hmm. kind of six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Um, went to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Very good film, very good. Which I thought, yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. Cried far too much at it, but I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> um, so and, did I. <laughs> uh, I saw the... Yeah, it was it was much more emotional. I mean, people told me it was going to be emotional, but it was even more emotional than what I'd prepared for, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it was a really, I really enjoyed it, despite it being about two and a half lo- hours long. Because um, I'm quite, I don't know, I'm quite put off if films are longer than two hours, especially in the cinema, because I know I'm going to have to go to the toilet. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'll wait until <laughs> that comes out on streaming. Um, but no, that was that was good. And I saw the Boogeyman on Sunday. Just. Yeah, just passed. Sunday just there. All right. 
Any good? Yeah. It was okay. Um, have you read the short story? No. The short story is only 17 or 18 pages long. Um, I only read it for the first time the other day and I did think to myself, how are they going to make a full film out of this tiny little short story? And parts of it work and parts of it didn't. I thought it was kind of patchy. Like I suppose I would give it like three stars maybe. Like It's a decent wee movie and it's probably quite good seeing it in the cinema because there's a couple of... You know, it's Rob Savage who did host, so there's like a couple of good... Mm. Um, set pieces and jump scares and stuff that maybe work might work better in the cinema maybe than would work at home but yeah. um, I wouldn't necessarily say go out and see it at the cinema um, but it's worth seeing if you get a chance but yeah, um, yeah. okay cool cool so, yeah uh, it was all it was all right see I've not really watched a lot lately I've been binging Line of Duty again um, oh it's so good. <sighs> I forget. I, I, season it, three, especially, is amazing. Season three, which one's three? I'm just up on. It's this. I'm in the middle of the Stephen Graham uh, series. I think that's second to last, isn't it? Um, yeah, three's the, the one. Three's the one where they've got that epic end scene. I don't want to say because I don't want it to be a spoiler for anybody listening <laughs> that hasn't seen it. But it's the one which is mostly about Dot. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah, yeah, yeah it's the one yeah. about the the paedophile ring, isn't it? At the boys' home. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. it. That I just thought that was like I thought the whole thing was good, but I thought that was especially good. Definitely. Did you like the ending? Loved it. I remember the first <laughs> time I saw it. I actually, I actually had to pause it because I was like. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> Do you know that way where you're just like, I can't cope. I need to, I had to like get my breath. And it's it's one of the only things that's made me like that for a while. So yeah, I um, I think I've seen it all the way through twice, maybe. But it's on okay. iPlayer, isn't it? So yeah, um, this is the first time I've revisited it. So I'm uh, I'm just as hooked as as I was the first time around. It was something I came quite late to. I think I didn't. I binged the first four series, ready for the fifth, basically. So uh, I didn't have to wait a year at a time, basically. I but I hear talks that they go in to do some, some movies, a bit like the Luther movie, mm. like two or three of those, which would be quite interesting. Interesting. Definitely. Hmm. Mm. So obviously, uh, last time uh, it was your choice of uh, subject, so it was down to me to pick the subject this time around, uh, and I went for... Uh, subject of the worst horror remake ever. Yes. <laughs> um, a decision I kind of regret now after watching the two <laughs> films that we did watch. Um, it was a slog. <laughs> but it was reasonably inspired by you, so I'm going to blame you because you mentioned uh, seeing your choice uh, at, at around that time, I think. Um, but yeah, generally horror remakes, are you a fan? Uh, I had a wee think about this earlier on, and no, I think that <laughs> normally I think horror remakes are pretty shit. Having said that, when I was, I had a wee Google just to kind of refresh my memory about horror remakes, and there are, I mean, there's some really good films that are actually remakes, like The Fly mm-hmm. is a remake, The Things yeah. a remake, I suppose you could argue that Evil Dead 2 is a remake, so there, there are some, The Invisible Man, you know, the one with, um, is it, Oh, I can't remember her name now. It came out in two thousand, just before COVID. Um, yeah, Elizabeth. Moss. Yeah, there's a, there's, 
That's it. I was going to say Elizabeth Olsen there, and I was like, that's not the right one. There's another <laughs> Elizabeth. Um, so actually, um, the ring, um, the Japanese um, ring is one of my favourite horror movies. And as much as I don't think the American one's as good, it's still an actual okay mm, movie in it itself. So, yeah, the more I thought about it, there's probably quite a, a few good ones, but there's a lot of bad ones as well. Like, mm. quite a few. And some of them I've just avoided point blank. Like, I've heard that the... Nightmare on Elm Street one is awful, but because Nightmare on Elm Street is one of my favourite horror movies, I've just completely <laughs> avoided it in purpose. Um, yeah. But there's there's a lot that you just wonder, like, why are you making this? I don't know if you've seen Psycho with um, Vince yeah. Vaughn. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what the, why, what the point was, because it's no. almost like a kind of scene-for-scene scene remake. Yeah. Um, it's just not as good. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of shit ones out there probably a lot more rubbish ones than there are good ones but when i looked into it i was actually surprised that quite and quite a few like iconic movies like mm. the fly and the thing um which would probably be in you know a lot of lists of top 20 or 30 you know horror movies of all time i think you could argue that the thing's not necessarily a remake it's more of a retelling of the original source which is the book um obviously yeah. the, the thing from another world is a bit more 50s space alieny. Um, it doesn't have that sort of mimicry um, uh, storyline to it. So it is a remake, and it isn't. But it goes off in a completely different direction, which I think, <sighs> yeah, as we'll probably get into, you know, there's there's something to be said for taking something in a different direction, um, and then there's there's an argument to say that it doesn't make things any better or it certainly doesn't improve uh, on the original concept. So a few little bits of information about horror remakes. Did a little bit of uh, digging and a bit of research. The most successful horror remake uh, is 2017's It, which again, you could argue it's not necessarily a remake of a film. It's a remake of a TV series, but they had a worldwide box office of $701 million dollars which is quite epic. Is it not the most successful horror movie ever in terms of box office? It could be. It could very well be. That I'm, sure like. I read, I'm, I'm sure I read that, yeah. Uh, and that was followed by uh, The Ring, which you mentioned earlier, in 2002, which was $249 million. So, you know, nearly a $400 million gap between those two. Um, and there was also, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're about the same age as me, so you'll probably remember mid-2000s, mid to early 2000s, uh, there was a bit of a boom in terms of horror remakes, uh, I think starting with uh, the Platinum Dunes uh, Texas Chainsaw remake, which was quite a successful one. I saw that. And not a bad one, to be fair, it's, it's okay. It wasn't, it's, it wasn't awful, it, it wasn't awful, no, it was, it it was, was okay. It was better than some of the other remakes that they did down the line. Um but yeah, there was just a slew of them then. There was, you know, a lot of the uh, sort of teen slashes, Sorority Row, Prom Night, um, all around that time. They were just just pushing them out, pushing them out. And I mean, our two choices are maybe a little bit late, later than that. And obviously, you you mentioned about some some classics, uh, the Fly thing. There are some some good ones, and there's some good ones in there. The Omen remake's not not a bad one. That sort of updates the story a little bit it doesn't really do anything different um yeah 
So that's a sort of brief history of, of horror remakes. Um, how was it uh, in terms of uh, choosing for you? Was it an easy one? It was fairly easy. I mean, I've not seen... Like I said, I, I've, I avoid them if they are... Um, although, actually, I did see The Omen. And The Omen is one of my favourite horror movies. And I didn't hate it, but I, I, I just don't, didn't know if it really added very much. It was Leif yeah. Schreiber, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. I quite like, I like him as an actor. I mm-hmm. think he's a pretty, pretty solid actor. Yeah. But I was just kind of like, this isn't really adding anything. Whereas I think good remakes do add something or take it a different direction. Or they just add something to the story. Like even at The Ring, if you watch that in comparison with the Japanese original there are differences in some of them work, some of them don't work so well. The one that I've picked, as you said, it was something that I saw for the first time quite recently um, because I'd heard it was rubbish and I had a migraine (laughs) and I'd basically written the day off, so I was just lying on the couch with a duvet and I was like, I've heard I can't sleep when I get a migraine. Like, I want, like, the the thing I want to do most is sleep, but I can't because of the (laughs) migraine. So I was like, I'll find something shit to watch and that'll send me to sleep. The problem was, this was so... Sh- really what I should have done is found, like, some kind of comfort movie, which I actually ended up watching after this to cleanse my brain a little bit. But um, I was... Uh, I was so... Now, I'd heard it was rubbish, but I don't know if I was prepared just how... No, it's, it's not even just rubbish, it's just batshit crazy. Like, I was just like, what is going on? Um, so I suppose it is quite fresh in my mind, you know. There are other ones that um, that we might come to mention um, that could have been it, but I think because this one was so fresh in my mind and it was so bizarre, <laughs> I just quite fancied talking about it. And also talking about the original because the film I'm going to, that I've picked, the original is definitely one of my faves. I absolutely adore the original and that's maybe one of the reasons that I dislike the remake <laughs> um, as much. So um, so yeah. what, what did you go for then? I went for 2006's The Wicker Man. Afternoon. Sorry about that. It's okay. I'll get it. Give me your hand! Edward, I know that we haven't spoken in a few years. I need your help. I need your help. I have a daughter. Her name is Rowan. She has been missing for two weeks now. I fear she is in danger, so now I turn to you. Be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. Lost your bearings? Oh, hey, sorry. Snuck up on me there. This is private property. Do you know her? Hmm, I don't recognize this child. Welcome. My little girl is still here. She has been taken by who I don't know. I'll find her. If she existed, we would know of her. Whose desk is this, hmm? Rowan? Hello? You suspect foul play. Hey! 
wicker man returns. Who's the wicker man? I'm gonna search every inch of this town. She burned to death. She burned to death. <laughs> I need your help. <laughs> Directed by Neil Labute, I think it is. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with this film. <laughs> I'll quickly, obviously, talk about the cast. Um, obviously, the, the the lead character is um, Nick Cage. I love Nick Cage. Um, I think everybody loves Nick Cage. Actually, I've yet to meet somebody that's been like not. A f- Do you like Nick Cage? I didn't like this era of Nick Cage. Um, at right, all, right. um, 90s and sort of when he got started and Wild at Heart and all those sort of crazy early performances and a lot of his sort of 90s action stuff was, I you know, I did used to enjoy but yeah, this era of Nick Cage was when he was, just felt like he was just doing any old shite basically and yeah, case, I mean, case I've, in I've point this down... film <laughs> <laughs> the, To be fair, I'm probably much the same because I've had a wee look at my favourite Nick Cage performances and it's like Raising Arizona, Wild at Heart, Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, Snake Eyes. I think they're all like late 80s, 90s. And mm-hmm. then recently I liked them a lot in Kick-Ass. I say recently, I think yeah. it was 12 years old Kick-Ass. In my head it's recent. I thought he was brilliant in that. And Renfield that he did really recently, I thought mm-hmm. he was particularly good at as well. So you're right, there's probably the, the, the period of time that you're talking about, I don't think I've seen many Nick Cage films from, so I'm definitely probably speaking about more the 90s and maybe more recent stuff. But mm-hmm. um, So he's like he's the kind of biggest name in it. There were a couple of other fairly big names. Ellen Bernstein, obviously famously of The Exorcist, She's in it. She's pretty good. She, I also loved her in Requiem for a Dream, which is a movie mm. that I think I've seen once. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Um, but her performance slug. in it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it is a, it's a hard, hard movie. They, like, see, when they want kids not to do drugs, that's what they should show them. Yeah. Like, if you want kids not to do drugs, show them Requiem for a Dream. Like, it was a, it's a really hard watch. And it's one of those films that I've, despite only seen once, I remember it very, very vividly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could tell you about, like, loads of different things that happened in it. But I thought she was brilliant in it. The other... Yeah, there's a couple of other people that I'll maybe mention as we go through it, but mm-hmm. they were the two kind of big names. Um, yeah. I looked up the director. I couldn't really find much other... I think it was a lot of TV and stuff that he did. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really find anything else. So, I don't know, I'll just do a kind of rough plot because it's, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, you could say loads and then you could say hardly anything about this plot, but kind of like the 1973 version, it's, They've tried to make it quite similar, but obviously based in America, whereas 1973 was based in an island off of Scotland. This is an island off, I think it's the northwest. It's off like Washington State, I mm-hmm. think. Um, 
I don't think it. I don't think it actually exists. But um, and it is like the the nineteen seventy three one, and in, in that it's about a police officer who goes to this island where there's this kind of strange community living um, to find a missing child. But unlike the nineteen seventy three version, which starts basically at the start of that story, you see very mm-hmm. little um, prior to. Sergeant Howie, I think he is, in that movie, um, whereas it's Edward Malice, I think Nick mm-hmm. Cage's character's called in this film. We see a really weird <laughs> opening bit that I don't really understand. So the film starts, introduces you to Edward in a, is it a roadside diner and he's looking at self-help yeah. books. He's obviously got a thing about um, self-help books. And then you see him and he's on patrol on his motorbike and this car's pulled over and it's a woman and her daughter. The daughter's very odd. Um, straight away, it's quite obvious that there's something not quite right. Um, she's also a bit of a brat because she throws her oh, doll yeah. out the window and then... <laughs> Proper <laughs> he, annoying He kid. picks up and then she, <laughs> and she chucks it again. I was like, I have no time for this child. Um, but then... <laughs> The second time, because he's away from the car, a truck hits the car. The car goes on fire. He then tries to rescue the mum and the daughter. The daughter's just sitting in the back seat, giving him a really weird look. And then it skips to him, presumably on sick leave, suffering from some form of PTSD. Yeah, but he just look. He just looks bored. He's. Not, it doesn't look like he's traumatized. He's just bored. No. It looks yeah, it's a bit it's it's really strange. And then he's some other cop comes to see him, somebody we've not been introduced to before, because it's not the cop who was with him at the diner at the start, which seems a bit odd as well. Like, why not just use the same person? Because you've already at least established a little yeah. bit of a relationship with this yeah. other person. Let's just bring in this woman cop who we don't know and we never see again. Yeah. Okay, oh, she there's, there's, there's just it's like the most awkward bit of exposition ever in a film. It's just there's there's no sort of tone to it. They're just literally reading lines to each other, and he's meant to be traumatized, and she's meant to be sympathetic. She doesn't come across sympathetic at all, and he doesn't come across t- traumatized. He just comes across like you know he's been told to stay at home and not leave his house, basically. Aye, and you're right. He just looks fed up. He doesn't look <laughs> particularly traumatized. He asks about the did they ever find the bodies. And she says no. So there was no bodies found in this car, even though we saw this woman and this daughter, who's a bit weird looking, like Mm -hmm. kind of classic spooky child from a horror movie. But then that story never really gets resolved. I mean, there's flashbacks to it later. But I know I was messaging you when I was watching it, saying, what's this got to do with it? Because I thought, is the child the same child from the island? But it's not. No. So... Like, what's the point? I, I didn't understand. And like you said, he didn't seem that traumatised by it. So if the point was to make him traumatised and that's maybe why he then went on a mission to find this girl, <laughs> that doesn't really work either. It no. just... It was odd. It was very odd. Um, but anyway, he gets a letter from, like, I think it's his ex-fiance, Willow. Yeah. yeah. And obviously Willow's name comes from... Willow, um, Brett Etlin's character in the original film, mm-hmm. and um, the there's 
our daughter's gone missing again very much like the original so he goes over to this island to try and help find her they changed the name so in the original version the scottish island's called summer isle but mm-hmm. they thought americans might struggle saying that so they changed it to summer's isle and it's this <laughs> place on off, off the coast of um, washington where he bribes a sea pilot I don't know if we're mentioning who the pilot is at the moment or... Well, yeah, it's our first X-Files connection of the episode. Yes, he was... Now, I can't say the name of this X-Files episode, but funnily enough, it's one that's got bees in it, isn't it? Um... It is the one with the bees. Is there bees in Gethsemane? Oh, that's a shame, because that would have been funny if it was. (laughs) No, it's the one where they find I thought that was a bee one. No, he's the professor who finds the alien in the ice. And then it turns out to be a... Oh, right. A, um... Oh, God, what do you call it? Fake. Fake, yeah. Fake. Hoax. Ah, right, okay. I know which one you mean. And I did recognise him, but um, it would have been good if it had been, um, because there's quite a few X-Files episodes where bees are involved, so that would have been quite a neat connection. So yeah, first X-Files connection, there are quite a few between these two um, movies. Um, So where were we? Yep, he gets to the island, and it's, I think you call it a matriarchal society, where it's like women that basically... um, Mm -hmm run the show kind of thing yeah. and yeah. on the in the is that right in the original movie um it was apples that was the yeah. crop that was failing but um it's bees and honey, honey. that yeah. they make in summer's isle and um they've had problems with the crops <laughs> um so that's um kind of where we're at he arrives there's a really weird scene where there's something moving in a sack yeah but you don't <laughs> Really get to see, I don't think. Like, you never find it. No. No. It's, that's what's, they set up these things (laughs) at the start with the car crash, and then they set up this thing with this body in a bag, and then that's it. Like, it never, (laughs) it's it's not like later on it then goes back to that. So, Mm -hmm. I think that's what made this, but at this point in the movie, it still had my attention. My attention wanes later on. At this point, (laughs) I'm still like, right, okay, what's going to happen next? But um, he's well, there I, to find... I didn't understand why he he sort of covertly goes on the island, even though he's landed on a plane uh, on a very small yes. island, which they would no doubt have seen, and then immediately makes his way to the, the jetty where the plane would have landed. It's just yeah. It just makes no sense at all, other than to, a to film a little bit of, a bit of scenery. <laughs> it's just... It's totally bizarre. Um, the girl's um, mother is um, Willow Woodward. Mm-hmm. So Woodward's obviously... Is it Edward Woodward that played Sergeant Howie in the yeah. original movie? Is that, yeah. So that's you, a callback. There's, there's a lot of... Well, you just find that in most of these horror remakes is that there'll be, they think it's clever to just sort of move some of the names around and... And give somebody a surname that's or a name that's you know linked to the originals and things like that. It's just so tawdry. It doesn't really make any sense, <laughs> um, to be honest. Um, 
But anyway, we moved to this kind of bar. And <laughs> if you contrast this scene with the bar scene in the original... Like, the bar scene in the original is brilliant because yeah. it's so like a fish out of yeah. water. It's so like this guy that's already been set up to be very religious and quite puritanical going into this rowdy bar where they're singing about shagging the landlord's daughter mm-hmm. and they all know he's, you know, not from around there. There's that whole kind of everybody looking like um, kind of League of Gentlemen style thing. <laughs> and it's creepy, but... You know, there's music. That's another thing, actually. There's a lot of really good music in the original, and there's not really any music in no. this one at all. Um, and I think I missed that a little bit. I think, you know, it's it's quite a silent movie. Yeah, the, it's like, got soundtrack a, wise. It's got a very sort of generic score to it. There's, you know, yeah, it's this sort of this romantic theme and and this sort of dread dread fields kind of theme that you would expect from a horror film. Whereas, like you say, there is none of that in the original. It's all folk music. It all fits the location and it's weaved into yep. the story. Whereas here it is just there. Yeah, it's it's just... I don't know, this scene in the in this kind of bar is really weird because um, it looks more like a kind of commune as well because the women are all wearing these... I don't know if it's supposed to be kind of like, like, like Amish or... like You know what yeah. I mean? It's more... Whereas in the... In the 1973 film, there's no, like, it's not like, you don't instantly think, oh, this is a cult. You think this is mm-hmm. like a weird island community, with all yeah, these yeah. weird local community. Yeah, and they're obviously mm-hmm. cut off and they've got, they do things slightly differently. But in this <laughs> version, it's a bit like they're supposed to be some kind of, like, cult. worldy cult, yeah, 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 yeah. Even though uh, yeah, S- Sister like, Willow and Sister Honey have got great Hollywood makeup, <laughs> they do, which is weird because surely this kind of society mm-hmm. wouldn't allow that. Do you know what? You wouldn't. Um, think so. No, you wouldn't think so. So, so yeah, in this um, bar where there's you know a very unfriendly kind of barmaid, yeah, the only- Sister Beach. Sister Beach, yeah. <laughs> the only people that that speak um, seem to be women. Uh, yeah. There's men, but the men don't. I don't know if they have no tongues. They well, have that's their tongues it. Cut that's off. Another thing that's not explained. You know, obviously they don't talk, so you sort of get that impression. And then later on, towards the end of the film, when he he sort of shoves one of them in this bar, and they sort of make an you know like a mm, kind of noise, like they can't speak. But it's never, mm-hmm. t- you're never told, you're never sort of, um, it's never made a point of. I don't know if that is in the the extended version of it, because obviously, as we'll probably talk later on, there is, a, I suppose it must have been an uncut version. The version I watched yep. on uh, Amazon Prime was definitely cut from what I saw originally, because uh, it does miss out one of the key scenes that I'm sure we'll get to later um, and add yep. something at the end. But yeah, so whether that was just some kind of weird cut for time or what, I don't know. But it's like everything in this film. Um, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, and um, as you say, I think I, I watched the same version. So I've not actually seen the version with the kind of famous scene at the end that's um, been memed to death. Um, <laughs> and like you said, we'll, we'll get on to talking about that. But um, but the version I watched was the same. And it, it's the only version I've seen now twice. 
and I don't think I'll ever be um, watching it <laughs> ever again. Well, you can, I'm um, sure you can find that scene on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, sure yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I've seen it on YouTube. The first time I watched this, I found it on YouTube. I did wonder, um, Sister Beach offers, um, is it mead? Do they drink mead in America? I thought mead was a very English thing. Uh, well, I think it's just a very old thing. Isn't it made from honey? I think that's that's probably why it would be. I'm sure it's some kind of derivative of, of honey. I could be completely wrong there, but... Um, right. I'm sure that's why. Uh, but it would have been, you know, I'm sure it would have been something that the uh, the first settlers took over. Mead and ale and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I just... Mead's the type of thing, like... You don't even really see it that much in Scotland. It's the type of thing, like, see if people go on holiday to, like, places in the kind of northeast of England they tend to bring back. Like, um, I don't know, maybe it is made from honey. That would make sense, I suppose, why they would have it. But I did wonder. Um, it's set up that Nick Cage has an allergy to bees. Um, he carries an EpiPen, which um, is yeah. a bit of a coincidence. <laughs> Um, and then I'm not going to go through it scene by scene because actually a lot of this bit is quite similar to the original and that he goes to round the island, he speaks to different people, he goes to the school where there's a desk with, um, you know, like no pupil at the desk. Um, in the original, one of the girls has a beetle tied to like a little post thing in the desk, yeah, um, which is kind of cruel. In this version, it's a bird trapped in a desk um, yeah. and she says something like oh we wanted to see how long it would live or something and he's like yeah. you know completely horrified um, by this there's also a weird bit in the school where the, the teacher says and what are men and the kids all go phallic symbol phallic symbol <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> like, this is but this is what the problem is with the, fil- the film overall is that it there are points in the film where there's exactly the same dialogue and some of the exact same scenes, yep. and it plonks them into the story where it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because obviously, you yep. know, phallic symbol and the paganism of the original and the original uh, Summer Isle and Lord Summer Isle, they're all, they yep. worship pagan gods and mm-hmm. rebirth and all that sort of thing. Whereas here, you've got these women who, they don't come across as overtly sort of pagan and the reference to a phallic symbol just doesn't really ring true it's just not doesn't seem part of their uh you know their society i suppose and the fact it's just bizarre and it's just i think it is just something that's plonked in there to tie it to the original because you have this whole thread of the original film which is one of my favorite films and one of the things that makes that film so good is that you have this juxtaposition of howie and his religious beliefs and the pagan beliefs of the the inhabitants of Summer Isle. So you've got that constant um, to and fro where he's saying, you know, this, you don't read the Bible, you don't go to church, you don't do this. And they're like, no, we, we don't, we're doing this, we're doing that. And you don't have that here. So you don't have, other than him calling out the some of the weird stuff that they do, which you yeah. would probably expect from that kind of community, or a very old sort of fashioned way of dealing with things, which again you would expect from that kind of community. It doesn't have that. What it could have had is this sort of misandry, misogynist uh, battle 
but it doesn't have that. It has yeah. very much that this, you know, the women think that they're uh, that they, you know, they're better than men, or they, the men are uh, are only there for the seed and everything else. But you don't have that opposite from from the Edward Mailer's character. You don't have no. if he'd have been this complete misogynist, mm-hmm. then that would have worked. Yeah. Better. I'm not saying it would have made it better, but it would have worked. It would have worked in in the same way that Howie being Christian and then being pagan and him not agreeing with their ways because of his religious beliefs. And I don't think the original really wants you to be on side with Howie. It doesn't make him a likable character, unless you're overtly Christian, obviously. Um, whereas this film sort of goes out of its way to make you like Nick Cage's character. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I did think when they say phallic symbol, phallic symbol, and we already know at that point that it's a matriarchal society and the men, it, we don't know because we've not got to that bit yet where the guy tries to speak and can't, but no man has spoken apart from mm-hmm. the sea pilot who's not part of the community. I did wonder if the point of that was to try and say that men, as you say, are only there for like procreation and then later mm-hmm. on there's some scenes where the men are almost like they're slaves they're doing a lot of the manual work with the bees and yeah. stuff so i did wonder but then as you say there's no juxtaposition there's no contrast because there's nothing to suggest that nick cage's character is a misogynist um no. so that just kind of comes out of nowhere but my reading of it was definitely that they talk about a festival of fertility at one point i don't know if that was just dropped in as a kind of throwback Mm. to the original but i very much got the i think what they're trying to do and i don't think they succeed very well is just to try and make out that men in their society are only there for like procreation basically that's it yeah um and they've not got really any other any other place but as you say it just doesn't really work no not at all. And and none of the school desks have got a dick drawn on them either, which is just not realistic. <laughs> not realistic <laughs> at all. No. Um, and then the next wee while, this bit just gets a bit tedious. He's going around the <laughs> island trying to figure out what's happening. On his um, bike. You get this t- on his bike, which is, I don't know, he's like a bit a... kind of manic, already <laughs> a bit kind of manic. We find out there's this, you know, twist that... Um, Rowan is his daughter, um, mm. which is not in the original, and I don't know what it's supposed to add at all. There's a lot no. of foretelling about burning, about people burning. Like, just out of the blue, they mention, oh, she was burned, and other people were burned, and, you know, a bit of foreshadowing, or they're trying yeah, to well, foreshadow. There is, there is that line, isn't there, from the, is it the school teacher who says, oh, she'll, she'll burn to death. Then he says, what did you say? She burned to death. Yeah, I thought it was quite creepy. Yeah. Actually, it probably is one of the creepier moments of the film. Uh, so that is that. that that specific bit was quite good, but I just there was more than one mention of burning, and I just thought that was like a rubbish <laughs> attempt at foreshadowing. There's no pace. Like what struck me about this film was it's one hour forty minutes long, mm-hmm. and at no point was I like, oh, what what's going to happen? There's no tension. Yeah. And, like, see the first... I mean, I've seen the 1973 version loads of times now, but see the very first time I saw it? Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, what's happened to this girl? Are they going to find this girl? Like, you know, is he (laughs) going to get in? And obviously, maybe I suppose a little bit of that's taken away because this is a remake. So, you know, 
I don't know if you're ever going to have that kind of tension, but they didn't mm-hmm. even try and have any kind of tension. Like, there no. just isn't any pace, there's no, no tension at it, any point. It very much feels like it's just going through the motions to get to the ending, basically. Yeah, I felt like that. And that's probably why it lost. I must admit, my, like, my notes get a bit sparse at this point, and it's because my tension was wandering because it, I just was a bit like, all right, okay, so he's just going about... Um, there's stuff about swarming bees, his EpiPen. Um, the, the one scene I thought was actually okay is when Ellen Bernstein comes in. She's not in it very much. She comes in as Sister Summer I- Summer's mm. Isle, which is the Lord Summer Isle um, character in this one. She's yeah. a good actor, obviously, and she, there's a scene where she's explaining about women being burned in Salem and why they had to go over there mm-hmm. and start their own community. And I think more could have been made of that. Like, I was quite interested in that, like this idea of people coming over from like Britain or whatever to America or to the Americas. And, you know, there, there was obviously a lot of accusations in witchcraft and people were killed in Salem. And mm. if they'd lent more into that, and that's like why they had started the court. Do you know what I mean? I think that if they'd explored that a little bit more, you would have been like, oh, this is a different, They're you know, they're doing something different with this film. Mm-hmm. but that's kind of dropped in and then that's it like it's abandoned they don't ever talk about that again it's just like no. <laughs> they move on um and then i've i've got around my notes uh, nick cage running about on his wee bike yeah <laughs> a lot like he's in a um, like he's in a hovis advert Aye, it's it's so <laughs> bizarre um he tries to talk to a man at one point as you say and the, the guy kind of goes Ugh. and like you said I, I was like okay is there a is there a thing that they have actually removed their tongues? Which, again, yeah. if they'd explored a little bit, like the Salem thing, could have been a bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, if they... But they just... I mean, none of the men have... it Apart from Nick Cage, none of the men have any screen time. You don't get to know any of them. You don't feel sympathy for them because they're just, no. like, bit parts. And then, you know, things pick up a little bit. There's some of the stuff that's like in the original, like when the little girl falls out of the cupboard and starts laughing. <laughs> they all get their masks. Even the masks are shit. The masks in the original are really yeah. good. Yeah. The masks in this, I don't know who did like the the, the costumes, the creative designer, whatever. But well, I think you've got around, this, like... around this time, you've got the there's this the, the bit where he's sort of I think it's before that or around this time where he 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 goes into the room with the. And there's this sort of nude woman covered in bees, which is pretty creepy. Actually, I thought that was that was nice, nice little shot and quite creepy. But I'm pretty sure that's in the trailer as well, and I remember seeing the trailer, so it's it's not a massive ah, shock. Right. <laughs> I never saw the trailer. This movie actually completely passed me by at the time. Um, I don't even Lucky know if you. I was like aware of its <laughs> existence. Um, but he starts randomly punching and kicking women. <laughs> This is the best bit, best bit of the film. Not, it's you know, like, not, to, not that I take any kind of, uh, you know, uh, pleasure of watching women getting hit, but it's just he <laughs> just doesn't give a shit, and he proper fucking welts, uh, sister Beach, yes. <laughs> like proper, proper lumps of one. And um, yeah, so that was all a bit strange. There's a couple of women that he takes out. Um, he disguises himself as a bear. At some point around this point, a mobile phone makes an appearance mm-hmm. that hasn't made an appearance thus far. And, you know, I found that a bit odd that all of a sudden... Oh, he's no, got he, does, he, does, it, it, he does try his phone a couple of times during the film. Oh, it does, he? Eh? Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that. See, that's just indicative of how much this <laughs> film kept my attention. Um, and it's interesting because see, when we move on to the second film we're going to talk about, I'm not saying it's any better, but it did keep my attention better, I think, than this one did. At least okay. the first half did, anyway. <laughs> um, so. Okay, well, I thought that that was the first time the phone that came out, so my apologies. But as I said, that is maybe just slightly indicative of how much I was enjoying the film. We get towards the kind of climax of the film. We find out, again, shock twist, that Willow is Sister Summer's Isle's daughter. By this point, I didn't give a fuck who Willow was, <laughs> to be honest. I was just like, I don't care. I don't... Yeah, it like, doesn't I'm, have anything you know, at all, does it? You know... Looking at the thing, how, how fucking long has this thing got to go? And at that point, because we're getting to the kind of finale bit, there was more time left, especially, and I knew because this was the second time I'd watched it, but the first time I watched it, I was like, why is there still so much time left? So we get to the, the climax of the film where um, Nick Cage is captured and put into um, The Wicker Man because this is the... I don't know if it's the theatrical version or it's the non-theatrical version that was on Amazon Prime, but it's basically the one where you've not got the classic, not the bees, where um, they put the thing on his head with the, the bees, which is the famous and probably the best scene in the whole movie, and this version it, just has it cut out. I, I was actually disappointed, and I'd never thought I would say this, but... I was disappointed that that bit wasn't in the version that I saw because obviously it's quite, it does become quite brutal there, a lot more brutal than the original because they do break his legs so that he can't run away. Um, yeah. And they you don't this... see that though. You hear no, that, like you hear it. You, yes. They're carrying him, and you hear this kind of like almost like this flashback, but you're not seeing it. You're just hearing it, like oh my my legs yeah, and whatever. Which... But I don't, I don't understand why it's caught. Um, it just seems a bit of a bizarre choice because it's not. Yeah, it's a it's a bit grim that they sort of stick this thing on his head and then stick the bees in. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe they just cut it from the theatrical version because it was shit. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. But it's yeah, it's definitely one of the more memorable bits of of the film. And in this version, it's not even in there. It just cuts to them taking him up to this really shit looking wicker man. The wicker man looks shit. The masks well, I, all look shit. Since they're so, you know, uh, female centric in on this island, why is it a wicker man and not not a wicker woman? Well, that's a very good point, actually. Um, <laughs> it, they start shouting out, "The drone must die," and that made me think. Obviously, in bees, it's like the queen bee that's like the the masterful one, and the male bees. I, th- I mean, my bee. Biology is not great, but I think it is male bees that are like the kind of worker bees and like the drones. Is that right? So I thought that bit, if they'd lent into more of that side of thing earlier, I think that bit would have been good. But the finale is just like a wet squid. You know what I mean? It's just like compared to how unbelievable it is when you, you know, see the original and, you know, Edward Woodward, you know, with his, oh, Jesus Christ and all the rest of it. It's fantastic. And this is just nothing in comparison. Yeah. You've got two random blind women who turn up and start talking <laughs> in unison. Don't know who yeah. they are. Like, they've just rocked up from nowhere. <laughs> like, and of course, I'm watching it, especially the first time. And I'm going, oh, thank fuck, this is almost done. And then I was like, wait a minute. Why is there still a few minutes left? Mm. So we watch this scene that's supposed to be this, like, epic 
great scene in the end, and it is in the original, and the singing and all the rest of it. It's, you know, it's iconic. But in this weird version, it doesn't end there. It stops there. And then we cut to some city somewhere where James Franco and his pal are having a drink. Yeah. And then two of the sisters. Now, I didn't catch her name, but the actress is Leela Sobie- Sobieski, who I recognise. Yeah. Sister Honey, I think her name is. Yes. Um, yeah. From an I remember her from Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. She was somebody mm-hmm. that um, Drew Barrymore um, befriended and at the school prom, people were going to kind of play a trick on her. I remembered her from that. And actually, apparently, James Franco was in Never Been Kissed as well, but I can't remember him in it. But mm-hmm. there's this weird bit where her and this other girl from the island are in this bar, obviously trying to pick up James Franco and his pal with the intention, I think, to take to to meet, use them as the next sacrifice yeah. to take them back to it's the actually, island. It's um, actually uh, Jason Ritter is the other the other actor oh, in that scene. Oh right, right, who's right, John right, okay. John Ritter's son from the original uh, miniseries. Yes. John Ritter, he's mm-hmm. dead now, isn't he? Mm, died quite young, yeah. He played adult Ben. Yes, right? yeah. He was in uh, the Problem yes. Child films as well. Yeah, yeah, he was also in a good episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, right, cool. Yeah, But yeah, yes, I, um, I did wonder if at some point James Franco was going to invite them to his acting school, but alas, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a weird scene, though. Yeah, like, yeah. To, to add that in at the end. So, yeah, I mean... The whole movie is just a slog to get through. I read it had a forty million pound budget. I have n- no idea how. Like, how did they spend forty million pounds on that movie? I know that probably Nick Cage, I would assume, probably got you know a fairly decent um, salary for being in it. But yeah. I just can't imagine what because I mean, there's not even any or a lot of like CGI or anything in it. You know, it doesn't look particularly impressive. I think overall. It's just quite boring, and mm, that's definitely. not a word you would. That's not a word you would associate with the nineteen seventy three Wicker Man. You know, it's really pacey, it's tight, it's intriguing, yeah. it's weird. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, there's bits in it that are quite sexy, and this movie just had mm. none of that. It's just no boring. <laughs> so um, no. yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's just very very boring. It's not. It's not got any pace to it. It doesn't bother to build attention. It shoehorns in a lot of scares or sort yeah. of freaky imagery um, that yeah. don't make any sense to the plot. You know, a lot centred around this 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 accident at the start that doesn't go anywhere at all. Um, and there are flashbacks to that later on. Mm. And again, it's just like, but what? What is that? What's that got to do with anything? Like you say, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just it's it's just poorly made. It's just not. I mean, it looks okay, but you know, it's not edited great. The script's pretty bland. The only sort of decent lines are the ones that they maybe sort of pull from the original. But yeah, it just doesn't do anything. It just goes nowhere, and it just no. goes through the motions to get to the end. I mean, it's it's quite interesting because I read some kind of like trivia and stuff after watching it, and Nick Cage and I think the director. Um, whose name I've forgotten already, Neil LeBute, say it was a black comedy, it was played for laughs. But I was like, right, well, if 
I can get I can kinda buy that with Nick Cage's <laughs> performance, but nobody else in the film was in was was told that it, the joke then. Do you know what I mean? Like, because he's the yeah. only one hamming it up like that. None of the rest of them mm. are hamming it up like that. If the rest of them had been, maybe it would have worked well. And you know, I I like films that are so bad that they're good. I like trashy movies. Like I, I know that there are some people that really like this film. You know, it's a bit of a kind of cult favourite for some people because they think it is just a really black comedy. But I can't even appreciate it on that level because it's too boring. Like, films mm. generally that are so bad that they're good, they're entertaining. And this just isn't yeah. entertaining for me at all. No, exactly. Well, I've got a couple of little points I would like to raise. See if you can answer these. Okay. Uh, why does he swim to the plane to see if there's a radio when there's a rowing boat there? <laughs> to add some form of peril? Because <laughs> he's on a swim. Is Frances Conroy the most dependable, creepy old lady in the history of cinema? I did mean to mention Frances Conroy. <laughs> I love Frances Conroy. Um, I think I first saw her in Six Feet Under. Did you watch that? No, my first vivid memory of her and, and realising who that you know she was Frances Conroy was uh, the original um, American Horror Story where she plays the maid she's brilliant in American Horror in fact to be fair she's pretty good in this um, I, I did I did have her in hmm. my notes and I'm meant to mention her she is pretty good in this she was great in Six Feet Under she was great in American Horror Story I don't know if you remember she was in Shutter Island yeah. As well, she was like in a cave. I think they thought she was like the missing woman. I mean, obviously, yeah. The way that that story goes changes. She was also in, um, you know, the Mist, um, the Stephen King story. Yeah. Uh, there was obviously an epic. Um, I say epic is an amazing um, TV uh, movie of that. There was a TV series for Netflix that I watched a few years ago. Don't watch it; it's yeah. completely awful. But she's in it, and she's about <laughs> the only good thing. Like, Ooh. and it, she plays a very religious character, a bit like um, Mrs. Carmody that's in the yeah, original. Yeah. Um, but she's—I don't think they caught because it's a TV series rather than a movie. They stretch it out a lot longer, and I don't think her name is Mrs. Carmody in it. But she plays mm-hmm. um, a kind of religious character in that that's similar. But no, she is actually. Um, I did mean to mention her. She is pretty good. So I think, her, you know, Ellen Bernstein and her, um, out of all the the women in the island, they're probably the two strongest. Yeah. But the rest of them are pretty, not you know, not memorable. And then finally, why does Edward Malis get a commendation from the police for not saving somebody? Yeah, that was odd, wasn't it? Because <laughs> that's when the woman comes to see him. Yeah. yeah. That makes absolutely no sense either. No. Yeah. And, and what um, was the stuff about the self-help? Like, the t- yeah, strange. <laughs> None of it makes any sense. We can all thank um, Mr. Johnny Ramone for this film because uh, it's dedicated to him because he's the man who introduced uh, the original Wicker Man to Nicolas Cage, which made him want to make this film. So, Johnny uh, Ramone of the right, Ramones. Okay. Of the Ramones. Well, I did think he must be called? in the Ramones because it's not, it's not a very common name. Um, <laughs> but... No, I thought that was a complete slog. I did think about picking another movie just because I would rather sit through probably other <laughs> films before sitting through that one again, which is why I think my attention waned a little bit in the middle because I was just like, when's this going to be over? But that in itself says that this is probably the worst remake I've ever seen because at least with other remakes, even if they've been shit, they generally have kept my attention a little bit better than this one. Right, well... Uh, Don't know if I can see any we'll... more just... Um, 
I think the next movie we'll be talking about might actually be more interesting mm. to talk about. Mm. Mm. Quite possibly. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll uh, head off to have a little break. I'm going to go and dip my arse in a cold sink of water. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, be back very shortly. Okay, so welcome to the intermission. This is the part of the episode where I put a random question to my guest uh, and get their honest first answer. So, Vanessa, are you ready for your question? Yes. Okay. So, if you could bring back any director from the dead to make one last film, who would it be? My... F- I don't know if I've got, like, a favourite director, but my favourite f- film is True Romance... Directed by Tony Scott, mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's brother, and um, Tony Scott um, did a few movies. But I think, given how much I love True Romance, I would be interested to see what else he could have done. Mm. Obviously, he there's was definitely maybe... someone who it was overshadowed by his brother quite yeah. a lot, really, wasn't he? Um, but he, he did was. make some really interesting films. Uh, I mean, there's some probably more obvious choices. Like, I suppose it'd be interesting to see, interesting to see what somebody like Alfred Hitchcock or something would do, like now with all the mm. the things that were available to him. But um, he had such a prolific career, whereas Tony Scott, as you said, I think was a little bit overshadowed. So I think it'd be quite interesting to see him make another movie. And as I said, I absolutely yeah. adore True Romance. So yeah, I think Tony Scott for me. How about you? Um, I would say uh, probably Wes Craven. I think mm. you know, he was he was fairly fairly young when he died. You know, comparatively to a lot of people. Um, but I would have been interested to to see what he made of the new Scream films as well. Mm. Um, and I think he always had something. You know, even though his filmography is maybe not as good as somebody. You know, some other sort of well thought of directors. He had a lot of blips on his uh, directing um, career, but he always made always made interesting films, um, and they always had a a point to them. I think you know something that came out of the blue. I think you've mentioned before, uh, Red Eye, um, which was just you know n- totally not really sort of Wed's Craveny, um, but it was probably his last his last great film, and I think that came. You know, well over ten years after his last great film before that, which would have been a new nightmare. So, I think it would have been interesting to see uh, what he came out with next, had he not died. Obviously, that's a really good answer. Actually, um, Wes Craven is probably my favourite horror director. Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street are two of my absolute favourites, and yeah, I think Red Eyes are a really interesting film. I watched it recently. Um, I think it's on Paramount, which I got a subscription for recently, and I hadn't seen it for years. And it's a really tight, wee like ninety minute thriller. Um, and um, Wes Craven did some interesting stuff as well, like not so well known stuff. Have you seen The People Under the Stairs? I haven't. That's one of the ones I haven't seen. It's. I think I must have got that somewhere free. Um, like streaming somewhere, sometime in the last 
year or 18 months. Um, I think it had been mentioned in the Evolution of Horror podcast, so I thought I'd seek it out. It's well worth a watch. Really creepy, but quite interesting, quite different as well. So, um, yeah, if you get a chance to watch that, I would highly recommend it. Okay, cool. All right, okay. Uh, Right, we'll uh, head back to the main podcast and uh, see what's in store for us next. Thank you very much, Renison. Okay, so uh, that leaves us with uh, my choice. So I had a couple of considerations uh, off the bat, and I did actually change my choice before we started record. Well, before we uh, locked in. In uh, my original choice was um, well, in fact, I think my original choice was the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, remake, uh, which is I can't say that it's the worst because I've watched it two or three times. And it has some good parts. It has some interesting parts to it. But it's just so much worse than it needed to be. Uh, a bit sort of ham, ham-handed and a complete waste of Jackie Earl Haley as well. The Haunting was my sort of next choice. And I very nearly went for that because it's probably one of the most boring films ever made. With the worst CGI in any Hollywood film. Uh, and then a film that you mentioned earlier was uh, Psycho. It is basically the same film, but in colour with different actors and a little bit of wanking. Um, that's about it. Oh, yeah, God, it was it. Mentioned wanking. Mentioned wanking again. <laughs> 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 um, but no. And then this suddenly, my choice sort of suddenly popped into my head, and I thought, how did I not think of this before? Because I fucking hate this film. Uh, and that film is. Uh, Halloween from 2007. Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson-like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered and a ten-year-old boy being held in custody. You haven't said a word for 15 years. This summer... Rob Zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale Listen, be careful tonight A lot of nutcases come out on Halloween It's the Boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the Boogeyman, Tommy? Halloween night, the boogeyman attacks kids who don't believe. Oh no, Tommy! Boogeyman's gonna get me! I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. He's come back for his baby sister. To do what? Directed by Rob Zombie, starring Tyler Mayne, 
Scout Taylor Compton, Malcolm McDowell, Sherry Moon Zombie, obviously, and Brad Dorif. Uh, so after being committed for 15 years, Michael Myers, now a grown man and still very dangerous, escapes from the mental institution and immediately returns to Hattonfield to find his baby sister, Laurie. So, obviously this is the remake of the 1978 classic by John Carpenter, of the same name. A film that I really enjoy. It's obviously a classic. It's obviously a very important film in the history of horror. And this film, I don't know why I hate it so much. For, well, for stars, it's two hours long, which is very, very long for a slasher film. Very, very long. And I think very much in the same vein as The Wicker Man, it tries to... Maybe a little bit more successfully than the Wicker Man remake, but it tries to add these elements, don't really add anything to the overall story of Michael Myers and Halloween. I mean, it does, because it adds backstory. But for me, key thing with Michael Myers, especially in the original, obviously the sequels and the quasi-sequels that will come later, try to add that bit of backstory to, to Michael Myers, but the original, it doesn't have that. All it has is that Michael Myers is evil. There is no rhyme and reason to why he does these things. They can't figure out why he does these things. And Loomis says, you know, in the original, that he, he sees nothing behind his eyes and there's, he's just nothing, absolutely nothing. And he has no care for human life and just massacres people and all this stuff. And it's there. It's one of the big selling points of the original film is that that there is no reason for it. He's just pure evil. You know, you've got Freddy Krueger, who was burned alive by the the parents of Elm Street. You've got Jason Voorhees, who was uh, left to drown because the counsellors were having sex. You've got various different, you know, slasher antagonists who have a reason for doing things. Michael Myers was always that bit more creepy because there was no reason for him to do them. He just did them. But here you've got near enough an hour of a two-hour film explaining why he does the things that he does. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just completely ruins it. And don't get me wrong, there's some cool visuals in the film that, that come from that, but it's just not needed. It's not... It's a completely... I think anything that you can... Any remake, you can level the... You can say about it that it's not required. That's always the worst thing you're going to find in a remake. And I think there's a good film in here, but just not a Halloween film. Yeah, I I completely agree. And funnily enough, I agree because Halloween is a masterpiece. And it is perfect, I think, pretty much. And as you say, one of the really good things about it is that Michael Myers never speaks. You don't know why he does the things that he does. It's tight. I think it's about 90 minutes. This movie's two hours long. There's all this stuff about why he does what he does. Having said that, I enjoyed the first half of this movie more than the second half because it was something that I Mm. hadn't seen before. Um, And I think Rob Zombie, he's not a director that I love. Um, When I was young, I quite liked um, The Devil's Rejects, but in retrospect, I think it was probably just more because it was quite shocking and it had a banging soundtrack. Like, Rob Zombie quite often does have... I mean, I like Rob Zombie's own music. Um, I saw Rob Zombie, actually, about eight or nine years ago, and he, he was really good to see live. But... And I think he's really good at really scuzzy, like, you know, the stuff with the um, 
Michael's mum and stepdad right at the start, where they're, you know, I think he's good at that stuff. I, but I just found that sort of cheap and easy. It's, it's easy to shock with dialogue like that. You know, I mean, you've got, and you've got William Forsyth who obviously plays his his stepdad at the start, who's a very, you know, competent actor. But you know, you've got these suggestions of. Um, it's not necessarily incest, is it? Because he's stepfather and stuff. But he's talking about his stepdaughter's ass and that his it, she's got a better ass than his his wife or his girlfriend or, or whatever. Um, and he's just given the cringiest dialogue. It's just you know, gonna crawl over there and skull fuck the shit out of you. And that Michael's gonna end up cutting off his own dick and calling himself Michelle. And I think it just falls into that trope of. Broken family uh, abuse just breeds serial killers. It's it's a very easy trope to fall into, um, and he just does it f- for the shock value. And I think if you're just doing it for the shock value, it takes so much away from it. Yeah, there are a lot of tropes. Um, I think, like you said, you know, the abusive stepfather who's an alcoholic and possibly, um, I don't know if he's abusing the the stepdaughter or, but as you say, there's there's something there. The mum who's a stripper, um, you know, he's got, (laughs) is it rats that he starts killing and then he's killed cats and stuff. And, you know, that's a total, um, you know, psychopath one-on-one thing, you know, where they, they start off killing animals like i agree it's got loads of tropes i just don't know if maybe i enjoyed that enjoyed maybe the wrong word but because that part of the movie was like something different and something that i hadn't seen before and maybe if the movie had been more like an origin story and then had ended at the point that michael myers got out um before the haddonfield stuff then mm. it could have been more interesting. But I, as much as I don't think he needs an origin story and it does ruin the character, my interest waned after this first kind of act and it more yeah. like the remake of the original um, the original story. And I think that's it, because then it's trying... At the halfway point, it's then quickly trying to build up the tension of, of Michael being in Hattonfield and it's tra- you know where is the film yeah. you know it spends probably what f- 10 minutes maybe setting up that story michael killing his 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 sister um escaping from from the mental institution um and then you're into building the tension of him stalking these girls and 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 leading to you know the final act of 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 killing them whereas this has to sort of cram that into a very short space of time in this film. It has to build yep. that in about probably 30 minutes. It has to build that tension. And then it leads to, it must be a 20-minute climax, the final sort of confrontation between Laurie and Michael. It goes on for fucking ever. Absolutely yep. over-the-top amount of time to be spending on a finale to this film. But to, you know, to skip back to the to that beginning portion, um, there's just so many gross sexual references in that first, in the first five minutes even, and I just it just made me feel a bit icky. It, it, very much in the same way that Eli Roth's films, you know, the Hostels and some Cabin Fever, you know, maybe sort of viewing them when I was a younger man, you sort of 
you know titter at, at those sort of lines and references and things like that but you know looking at it with with an older sort of mindset and a more mature mindset it just feels really icky yeah no i i, I do it i'm cer- certainly not a prude but i just found it really unnecessary i think that's what and it proves one likes. thing no there's no good comes from being a kiss fan oh i like that song <laughs> That song at the start, God of Thunder. <laughs> I really like that song. Yeah, no, I mean, I do agree. I think Rob Zombie, like, he likes doing scuzzy. He likes having women running about naked, getting, you know, stabbed. Oh, my um, God. Th- that kind of stuff. Uh, apparently, the the scene where um, Michael Myers escapes out of what's it called it's it's not summer it's a spring grove the the is myths grove sorry yeah um, Smith grove. the original cut or the original plan was that he escapes because two guards take a female inmate in his room to rape her and it's something and then because of that michael was able to escape and he was told like that's too much like it's unnecessary um but i mean a lot of the sexual stuff's unnecessary I... that was in the version i watched where they take uh, another inmate into michael's room and rape her okay that's not in the version i watched <laughs> well it was in the version i watched and i don't remember that scene and it's it's just again it's shocking for the sake of being shocking. It doesn't make any sense. They all know why Michael's in there. They all know he's extremely dangerous. He's six foot fucking eight, for starters, and has his room covered yep. in masks. Why? He's not even, you know, handcuffed or chained to anything. And these two guys just take this one. And it's quite a graphic scene as well. But it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's just there to be shocking. The version I watched, that wasn't in it. Um, the version I watched, it was... I'm trying to think what happened. It was just um, they were going to transport him somewhere and then there was like three prison guards and they don't put his chains on properly and then he just goes batshit and attacks them all. So that's quite interesting that there must be two cuts of it then. One, I don't know if it's maybe the director's cut that would have that because that's what Rob Zombie apparently wanted. He wanted this mm. rape or attempted rape scene. But that just fits with Rob Zombie's style, I think, because if you watch things like Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, there's quite often, if there's not yeah. explicit sexual violence, there's at least implied sexual violence. Um there yeah. was also some stuff in this, like Jude, the the sex scene with Judith. Now, obviously, the actress probably wasn't young, but she looked young, and it just really gives me the ick seeing young people in a sex scene on screen. It's yeah. probably because I'm well, almost it. forty, yeah. but I'm like, this girl looks about seventeen. She's probably yeah. in her twenties. The actress, the the yeah, young yeah. lad that she was that she was shagging with the Michael with the mask on, like, and again, like, yeah. why? Why would you like? Why would you do that? <laughs> he looked young, so the two of them just looked like these young, scrawny young people. And when I see young people like at it on screen, and like I said, yeah. they won't be—they won't be as young as they—they're they, portrayed to be. But no, it still just course. makes me feel a bit. It just makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. But then, when you get to the third teenage sex scene, towards the end of the film, it's just—it's just. It's just so horrible it's just 
yeah, it just makes you feel uncomfortable because I mean, it, again, yeah. this could be the, maybe the cut that I've seen, but there was, you know, there was that the Judith sex scene towards the start, and then um, one of her friends. The third one is the girl who's played by Danielle Harris, who was obviously the young girl in yep. some of the uh, Halloween sequels, who was like twenty nine anyway, but she still looked like a teenager. But it's still. There's still that implication there, isn't there? You don't need to. You, you have that in the original with the um, uh, oh god, what's the name? PJ Soul's character in the original, um, and there is a, a a fairly unsalacious sex scene in in the original. It's not too graphic. He, she obviously does, you know, get her, her breasts out. That's the only it's bit that you have. It's not too salacious though. No. Yeah, it's it's quite brief. Whereas. Like, there were several breasts that you saw in this one. There was Judith, there was, I think it's Linda, and then Danielle Harris's character, I think it's Annie. Mm. Um, you see a lot You see a lot of tits for no mm. real reason. And um, the thing that made me feel quite uncomfortable as well was there was quite a lot of homophobic slurs in the first half. So um, mm. the stepdad calls michael um i can't remember what he said but he used a homophobic slur slur and then he talks about cutting off his his penis and calling him michelle so there's a wee bit of kind of um homophobia transphobia there then the kids that are <coughs> bullying michael call him a homophobic slur <coughs> now granted mm-hmm. kids bullying a shy young boy may well use a homophobic slur, especially then, um, yeah. maybe less so now, but I don't think you needed, like, two or three, like, one of that would have been enough, and that made me feel quite uncomfortable as well. I was like, there's no need for all of this. And again, I know it wasn't... I know it was used to show how bad the stepdad was or to show how bad the mm. bullies were. It wasn't saying that, that this homophobia was okay, but it still just didn't sit yeah. right with me because within the space of, like, 20 minutes, there had been, like, three different times, like... And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure that you need it as as often as that. It just felt a bit... You know what I mean? Yeah, just a bit, no, exactly, exactly. That horrible. And, you know, the other thing that, that this misses that the original has... Is is obviously Donald Pleasance as as Doctor Loomis. Uh, here we get um, a very you know he's obviously a very competent actor, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Um, but anything post past the eighties, you'd be hard pressed to find a good film that's got Malcolm McDowell in. He seemed yeah. to take a lot of sort of shit roles in in horror movies and uh, sort of indie films and things like that, but. They've got him sort of looking like Rick Wakeman in in the earlier parts of this film. He looks like a a member of Pink Floyd in the in the nineties, uh, and then morphs into Kenny Rogers um, towards the end of the film. And he's not bad. He's not awful. He's a lot more. He's a lot. He's a lot worse in the sequel to this film, which I'm sure we'll get onto a bit later. But they just Donald Pleasance is just such a great presence in the original film and he does a lot of the exposition for Michael and what he hears and why he does or doesn't do the things that he does and you get a lot of good verbal exposition from him in the original film whereas Malcolm McDowell's just there he's not you don't feel for him you don't get this sort of genuine fear of Michael that you have with 
Donald Pleasant in the original, and it's just a, a wasted part of the film, I think. Because of yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, he's a comp- he's competent, but I found it a bit odd as well that obviously he decides to write a book and become a bit of a sellout about the whole Michael Myers story, mm. which. I didn't know really was in fitting with the character that he would just decide to like no, kind of cash in. No, I thought I mean, that was that's... an odd, an odd choice. Yeah, I mean it goes it goes that bit further in the sequel where he becomes a sort of this really sort of seedy celebrity and um, and and is really sort of trying to cash in on it and it's 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 sort of taken to the nth degree really. Yeah, I mean, you know, overall I think Rob Zombie makes nice looking films and i think his techniques are really interesting you know you've got this yep. there's certain points in this film when it comes to michael he uh he has this sort of shaky cam that's going on uh that's meant to sort of you know show michael's rage i suppose that look really good and really effective fully grown michael myers you know as um uh, uh, tyler main looks fuck he probably looks it's the best looking Michael Myers of, mm-hmm. of any of the film series, I would say, because he looks, you know, he's it, obviously very, very tall, bulky. He's, the posture's great. The mask looks really good. Uh, it's not too. It's not got eyebrows and fucking weird hair like some of the other sequels. Um, it he just looks really good. So there are some good points to this film. I think I can find a lot of positive things to say about this film compared to The Wicker Man for, for definite. But yeah, it's just Zombie has to just do these things that he probably thinks of pushing the envelope and uh and being uh you know controversial but they just get t- it just gets tedious, you know. I mean how many pairs of tits you see in this film is just incredible. And not yeah. in a good way. No. And it just just goes on forever <laughs> it does it goes on far too long like you said like for a slasher two hours um is far too long it's funny you were talking about um how good michael looks in this film and i would definitely agree i think you know he's really imposing but it struck me when he was um in the sanitarium when he was when he was escaping that he's a he was kind of channeling Sadaku from the ring. Like, his hair was all, like, hanging, mm. like, right down his face kind of thing. Um, but I think I think he's quite good. He looks good. Um, I thought the scene where he killed his stepdad in the first half was quite effective. You know, where he had him um, all, like, um, gaffer taped up to a chair. Um, yeah, kind of. I can't. I f- couldn't suspend my disbelief that he wouldn't have heard him ripping off that fucking gaffer tape because he gaffer tapes him to fuck, and he must he have does. been doing that for ages. And <laughs> I understand, obviously, he's meant to be an alcoholic and very, you know, probably very inebriated. But Jesus Christ, yeah. you'd have heard that. It's not a quiet thing. Not that I've tried to uh, gaffer tape somebody when they're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I don't. I don't yeah, know. If, just a, I don't know if that. Yeah. It pushes a lot in terms of believability. You know, you get this story, obviously that um, his mom, played by um, uh, Zombie's wife, Sherry Moon Zombie, yep. who's in all of his films. Quite. Um, <laughs> she's not the best in in anything really. She's but, not. Um, I just found that you know you're pushing this this psychological backstory to Michael. And despite the fact that he's killed 
his sister, her daughter, and her a boyfriend, which she probably doesn't give a shit about anyway. But her daughter, you know, he's killed her daughter. He's killed his sister. Yeah. But she doesn't seem phased by that. She just she's going to see him. You know, if you look at a film like um, we need to talk about Kevin, and that's kind of yep. similar sort of trauma. You know, there's no if you're going to play it for the feels and play it for the emotion, then why does she keep going to see him and why does she continue to to be normal with him? You know, it's not that she's just going to see him to just make sure he's okay or anything like that. And then she takes her own life based on the fact that he killed a nurse. Yeah, that was that didn't not, make any sense to me. I... You know, she didn't do that based on the fact that he killed his sister, her daughter. Yep, yep. That's the trigger point for her to kill herself and leave her daughter orphaned which just doesn't make any sense other than to to drive the plot forward in a in a nonsensical way i think the only reason they do that is because they need to get rid of her somehow because it would be difficult in the second half if she was still around but yeah that didn't make any sense to me either it would make it would have made more sense if she'd killed herself when and actually it wouldn't have made any difference to the movie if she'd killed herself after Michael had killed her daughter and no, exactly. the stepdad. It wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. Whereas no, doing it where they do just... it kind of is jarring. It takes you out of it because you, you do think, well, that makes some sense. Yeah. And she's not great, but Rob Zombie obviously casts her on everything. <laughs> yeah, it gives. It just gives her more screen time. That's that's what it is. And spoilers, yeah. uh, she turns up in the sequel as well. Oh, does she? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other kettle of fish. I mean, technically, Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie isn't a remake. Um, it's a continuation of this story. Else I would have picked right. that because it is it is worse than this film. Oh, really? Uh, I, but I'm just keen to... to watch it just because it's... Just to be a completist. <laughs> oh, it's even worse. Even worse. But yeah, just to sort of go through some of the other cast in this film because there's a hell of a lot of sort of bit parts and cameos in this film. Um, yep. And a fair few X-Files connections as well, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, yep. So you've got uh, Udo Kier, who plays the sort of uh, the sort of head of this, this mental asylum, Smith's Grove, who just seems to be the staple of any shitty horror film, really. He just seems to be in a hell of a lot of low-budget horror films, as well as uh, these sort of shitty cash grabs, uh, which this is very much one of those. We've got one of the monkeys selling guns. Yes. Mickey Delance. Yes. Um you've got uh Danny Trejo, who looks incredible in this film. Especially in his in his the younger version of uh, his character. He well, he just looks incredible in any film. He's just got such a screen presence even though his acting's not fantastic. And he sort of, I suppose his character's really there to sort of show I mean again, I don't know if this maybe wasn't in your the version that you watched but he gets uh, killed by Michael when he's escaping yep yep saw that yeah and I think that's just um, to show so that Michael he... even though he made a connection with him he still just doesn't give a shit yeah. is that the point of that Danny Trejo is good though I, I, I mean he has a good screen presence and everything that he's in to be fair he's got a great face hmm. and then uh, the first of our X-Files connections Uh, Brad Dorif, who plays uh, the sheriff in this film, 
you know, it's a fairly small role for him. Really, he's not uh, he's not overly um, key to the plot. Really, no. But he was uh, in one of the best episodes of the X Files, in my opinion, uh, Beyond the Sea, where he played uh, Luther Lee Boggs in series one. Uh, you've also got a very short scene with um, Mr. Ken Forry, who plays uh, Grizzly, who's this sort of trucker. He was in uh, Series 3 episode of the X-Files, The List, uh, which he plays Parmelli, I think, off the top yep. of my head. Um Vincent Parmelli. He's also in Dawn of the Dead. He is, yes. Yeah, he's been in uh, a few... Um, of the sort of dead series in the remake as well. Very blink and you'll miss it. Um, All right, okay. Cameo in there. Uh, and then finally, uh, Pat Skipper, who plays Laurie's dad, Mason Strode, uh, who was Bill Scully, Dana Scully's brother in multiple episodes of The X-Files. And I think that was it. Did you spot any more in this one? Any more X-Files connections? Hmm. Uh, no, I think that was it. Um, the other people that... Um, I've written down where um, Daniel Harris, who you've already spoken about, that was, um, was she Laurie's daughter? Is that how it worked in Halloween 4 and 5? Or was she... Uh, yes, I think she was, yeah. yeah. And she was also, I don't know, did you ever watch Eerie Indiana? No, I know of it, but I've never watched it. She's in a really good episode of that. And the other person I had written down was Dee Wallace, who plays Laurie's mum, who's obviously most yeah, famous. Yeah, of course, yeah from E.T., but done a lot of horror stuff, Cujo, The Hills Have Eyes, Critters, The Frighteners, um, Dee Wallace is a, a bit of a scream queen. The Howl- Yeah, she's um, she's not in it very much, though. I mean, she's she's kind of underused a little bit, uh, a bit like uh, Brad Dourif, um, who you've already mentioned. You know, a couple of really good actors, but I think they were both kind of underused in this. They're not really in it very much at all. I think the whole yeah. second half of this film was kind of rushed, despite it... F- it's weird. It was... Like you said, it goes on forever, especially at the end. Um, the last kind of 20 minutes goes on forever, but at the same time the second half felt a bit rushed. I don't know, the pacing just feels all over the place with this film, I think. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, it's it's adding stuff that doesn't need to be added. It's illogical in a lot of places. And it's just too long as well for a slasher. You don't, yeah. you don't need that. You, If you can weave in some uh, backstory and uh, exposition through uh, what you're trying to achieve, which is a, a good slasher film then great, but if you've got to go out of your way to do that, I think it just takes away and it just makes it far too complicated. Um, and, yeah, you know, there's obviously a lot of key points that don't really come across as very realistic. Um, and my final yeah. uh, piece of evidence for that is, I think it's the last, or is it the middle sort of sex scene uh, where the guy gets cramp in his leg and then immediately orgasms. <laughs> Yeah. Which is yeah, massively unrealistic. Sense. Yep. A cramp is not a good thing to get in the middle of sex at all. No. It's, it's cramp isn't a good thing to get any time, to be fair. Well, no, but particularly when you're in fragrante delecto. Fragrante. <laughs> you don't want to be that. It's almost as bad as somebody breaking wind. <laughs> Takes you out the moment a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's, that's all I've got to say about Halloween. Yeah, I mean... I think you've covered everything I was going to say. 
Um, like I said, I did enjoy the first half more, even though it's unnecessary, but I think that's just because it was new. The second half, I mean, we haven't even really spoke much about the girl that plays Laurie because she's completely forgettable. Um, you know, in the original Halloween, yeah. Laurie's one of the best things about it. You're with Laurie, you're invested in Laurie through the whole thing. Um, and I think yeah. that in this movie, Laurie's like almost like a bit part. You're just not even bothered about her. I mean, if she died, I wouldn't have even really cared. Um, I don't think the actor who plays Laurie was particularly good. I did read that Emma Stone was in the running to play that part, and I wonder if she would have been better, because I I, I like Emma Stone, I think she's really good. But the, the person that did play her, I think, was totally forgettable. And actually, I think... I was listening to a podcast a while ago and I think it was Kim Newman that said the problem with this movie compared to the original was that this movie is all about Michael whereas the original movie is all about Laurie and I think that's the overarching problem with this Um, it -hmm. is all about Michael and um, yeah just I mean it's probably I don't know if it's the worst Halloween movie I've seen because I really thought was it five or six I think probably... Oh, God, yeah. No, this is certainly not the worst. Um, I think now the only ones I've not seen are the sequel to this one, which I'm intrigued to watch, even if it is awful, and Resurrection. (laughs) I think they're the only two that I haven't seen now. Yeah, Resurrection. I mean, there's there's so many. It's the least consistent of most of any of the slasher series by a a country mile. There's, there's, There's so many bad films in this series overall. It's unbelievable. But, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, to to sort of wrap up and 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 compare the two, um, I think just based on the fact that the Wicker Man, you know, on various days of of the year and uh, uh, depending on when and where you ask me, um, I would say that the Wicker Man is 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 one of my favourite films and it would be a strong contender for my favourite film ever on various days. And the fact that somebody dared to remake it just doesn't sit right. And to do such a terrible job of it, I'd be quite happy to concede this one. Yeah, I mean, after watching <laughs> them both... I mean, I've watched them both... I mean, I I don't know. If I think about what do I prefer, the original Halloween or the original Wicker Man, they're both up there, but I would probably put the Wicker Man ahead of Halloween just simply because... It did something so, and I suppose at the time Halloween did something quite different. But there are slasher movies prior to Halloween, things like Black, uh, Black Christmas, um, mm-hmm. and I suppose even things like Psycho and Peeping Tom. Whereas I don't think there was anything prior to The Wicker Man that did what The Wicker Man did. I mean, it basically invented like folk horror as a genre. So I think probably the original Wicker Man I would put above the original Halloween. But looking at these two mm-hmm. movies, and I've watched them both in the last two days. So I watched, this is Wednesday, I watched The Wicker Man on Monday <laughs> and I watched Halloween last night. If you said to me right now, right, you have to watch, you know, gun to your head, you have to watch one again, I think I would watch Halloween before I would watch The Wicker Man again, mm-hmm. which makes me think that out of the two movies, The Wicker Man is the worst. Um, although <laughs> certainly like, I agree with everything you said. I don't know if I maybe don't dislike Halloween quite as much as you do, but that's maybe because it was brand new to me. Um, maybe if I watched it in a few weeks or a few months' time, I would be like, all right, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're both 
they're both pretty bad. However, I am slightly intrigued to watch the second one just because you're saying it's even worse, which is, <laughs> intrigues me. But also, it, I would only need to watch that and Resurrection and then I would have done the complete Halloween. Well, that's it. You've got to um, do it. If you've yeah. got to complete it, you've yeah, got to complete um, it. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, out of all the Halloweens I've said, that I think the only one that probably would be below this one would maybe be six. I think the rest of them, mm. like I say, I've not seen Resurrection because I have heard that's awful. But I think the rest of them would probably be above um, this one. I mean, the first one's a masterpiece. The third one, Season of the Witch. I, re- I know it's not a proper Halloween film because it's not got Michael Myers, but I actually <laughs> think it's brilliant. H2O I yeah. really enjoyed. Uh, and the new ones. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the new trilogy. I have, yeah. Yeah, I don't think. Um, the, the first one was fine. The second one I didn't think was as bad as everybody said, but Agreed. it's still a bit there. I thought it was fun, um, the second one, actually. like. And the third one had some interesting concepts, but I just don't think they pulled it off. And the end and, and the last half of the third one was just really tawdry. Yeah, I would agree. I thought that the 2018 one was pretty good. Halloween Kills, I thought it was quite fun, despite being rubbish it was one of those movies that i would call probably call kind of like so bad it's good and the third one i wasn't that impressed with but this one yeah um like i said i don't think i maybe hate it quite as much as you but it's it wasn't great and like i said i'm not a big i'm not a big rob zombie fan um no like his music pretty pretty like he's got a couple of banging songs like dragula i can't even i can't even say that i like his music oh no i I quite like um a couple of these, so, well, I mean, I don't know if it's just because I saw him. I saw him in two thousand and fourteen or something with a uh, Marlon Manson in Glasgow, right. and I must admit, I, I mean, I wouldn't go and see Marlon Manson now after some of the stuff that's come out about him. But um, at the time, it was it, it was a pretty good gig, and um, Rob Zombie was pretty good. But maybe you should stick to that because the thing with these movies is it just to me it just seems like he just keeps trying to do the same thing like he never seems to try and do anything different it's like how scuzzy can we make this how much sex and sexual violence and like horrible language and like how much can i put in a movie and it's it just gets a bit boring i suppose after a while doesn't it yeah yeah i mean he's got his fans because he still keeps churning them out but no i'm Mm. not i'm not one of them uh, but yeah, that that about wraps us up for worst horror remake. So, is there uh, anything that you'd like to um, plug at the moment, Vanessa, or anything that you'd like to tell the listeners about? How people can get in touch with you, anything like that? No, um, if people want to get in touch, I'm on Instagram and um, Facebook, but I don't have anything. Um, really to plug at all um, but if anybody wants to get in touch and talk about movies always happy to do so oh I'm on Letterboxd as well actually um, although I need to get better because what I tend to do with Letterboxd is I, I log films and put like star ratings but I quite often forget to put any kind of narrative so I need to start actually putting more narrative into Letterboxd I quite like Letterboxd actually because it's quite a good way to remember all the things that you've seen um, but no, nothing nothing else to, to talk about but um, but no, it's been interesting you don't, you don't have, you don't have... You don't have anything to plug at the moment. Well, I was gonna say, um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to if you wanted to mention something that we've been that we have been discussing in the background. Well, maybe just plop a little. We'll, we'll plop a little teaser here and say that we've maybe got a uh, a little side project on the horizon. 
quite excited about it. people's appetite. Mm, indeed, we shall yeah. say no more, other than it's uh, it's tied to uh, a regular feature here on the Movie Jewel podcast. And we're very excited about it. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I won't say any more either, but um, yeah, if you've listened to the Movie Jewel podcast for a while, you might be able to guess... Um, or if you've listened specifically to some of the episodes that I've been on, um, yeah, we we have a a shared love for something. So I don't know if I should say any more than that. <laughs> Watch this space. Um, okay, so uh, that just leaves me to say goodbye then, and for Vanessa to say. Bitch, I will skull fuck the shit out of you.